Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, Jackson White, co-founder, editor-in-chief of Politoscope, TYT Rebel HQ creator, host of YouTube of the YouTube channel, Politics and Paper, doing very well. Proud of the brother. Fascinating first story here. Well, you know, when you're beefing with the man who brought us a reading rainbow, you are on the wrong side of history. Moms for Liberty, ladies and gentlemen, they now have a beef with Mr. LeVar Burton, who brought us one of the most iconic literacy programs in the history of America. Because of this joke, here it is. I, um, I had the tremendous honor of serving as Master of Ceremonies for the 70th National Book Awards in 2019. And it genuinely means the world to me to join you all again on this stage to celebrate the importance of literature to our shared culture. Um, before we get going, are there any moms for liberty in the house? Moms for liberty? No? Good. Then hands will not need to be thrown tonight. I mean, I mean, the classy way he said that. Put it up, ladies and gentlemen. The man said, hands will not have to be thrown tonight. He could have said, you don't have to throw them hands, but he did not. He said it in the way that the man with all the class in the world should say it. And by the way, Moms for Liberty, ultra conservative extremist organization, basically a bunch of Karens who are considered hateful. And in my opinion, domestic terrorists, they want to ban books. They don't like books. They go around saying no to books. Mr. Burton says yes to books. Um, all right. So I uh, put him up full mass. So after the you know hosting of a major event, literacy advocate LeVar Burton blasted conservative political organization Moms for Liberty. This was at the annual National Book Award ceremony. The National Book Awards ceremony. Moms for Liberty, they don't like books. They want books to be banned. So the group decided to call him out on social media for that joke. Here it is. All right. Now, before we get going, are there any moms for liberty in the house? He said Burton joked during the event. It was a joke on November 15th. No, good. Then hands would not have to be thrown tonight. Everybody laughs. They continue with the program, no problem. The organization which started in Florida in 2021, but has since expanded is considered an extremist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center that has played a role in the book banning crisis and spoken out against LGBTQ and race being included in school curriculums. Their website emphasizes that it is, quote, dedicated to fighting for the survival of America by unifying, educating, and empowering parents to defend their parental rights at all levels of government, end quote. Uh, Burton's comments come amid a significant push to get books off the shelves. 
according to PEN America, there were 3,362 instances of book banning during the 2022 to 23 school year, a boost from the previous year. Following the ceremony, the organization took to X, formerly known as Twitter, to respond to Mr. Burton. Here's what they said, quote, American moms weep as a childhood favorite reading rainbow calls for physical attacks against us because we are protecting the innocence of our children, the group wrote. And then they tagged at LeVar Burton, why have you sunk so low? Threatening physical violence against women, question mark. Burton served as a host on the highly popular PBS educational series, Reading Rainbow, which encouraged the connection between kids and books. During a recent interview on The View, the television star touched on the effort to ban children's books. I'll be absolutely candid and honest, he said. It's embarrassing that we are banning books in this country, in this culture, and in this day and age. He said this in 2022. He goes on to say, We have this aversion in this country to knowing about our past and anything that is unpleasant. We don't want to deal. We don't want to deal with. This is not going away. Nothing goes away, especially if you ignore it. So read the books they're banning. That's where the good stuff is, end quote. Um, Burton has consistently taken a strong stance against book bans. For instance, he spearheaded an open letter um, signed by a coalition of Hollywood's biggest stars, highlighting that bans, uh, the bans, uh, quote, it's not just antithetical to free speech and expression, but has a chilling effect on the broader creative field, the Hill reported in September. Um, so let's put up a picture of uh, Mr. Burton again. Now, I want to remind everyone that they are concerned about him. They're saying he threatened physical violence against moms for liberty. No, he is not and he did not. But see, this is the Karenicity we speak of. They literally showed their Karenicity on X, formerly known as Twitter. But the irony is, since they claim somehow they're protecting innocent children in their proclamation, um, earlier this week, one of their leaders was exposed as a child sex offender. Put him up, Republican named Philip Fisher Jr. There he is, a Moms for Liberty leader. They're, wrong, they're worried about the wrong black man, obviously. Okay, dear brother, this is um, one of those stories where, first of all, um, he's talking about a bunch of Karens who don't like books because they would like to basically eradicate the true historical lesson of what this country is, was, and potentially can be. And then they come out and say, "Oh, he threatened to attack us." Uh, classic here. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, it's always funny to watch right wing groups like this really just act like they've never lost before and never tasted <laughs> defeat or, or or never tried anything before. Um, you know, because when you just lose uh, 
resoundingly the way that Moms for Liberty did, you would think that there would be a little bit more uh, self-reflection that would go on to say, how might we better sell this message or how might we adjust or is there a purpose to this? Is it going to ever sell? Um, but the comeback of him saying, well, them saying, oh, he's you know talking about abusing or attacking women. It's like it really just sounds like they didn't have anything else to say. You know what I mean? Like they, right. they, they didn't have there was nothing else for them to say. So they're like, oh, well, you're talking about beating up women when obviously, you know, I mean, this man, when we first came in, I was like, I remember him from as far back as I got memories. I remember That's right. uh, reading Rainbow before I even knew how to read or anything. Uh, you know, LeVar is someone who got me interested in reading in the first place. Yep. He's one of the more, you know, kindred spirits that America uh, has ever had to offer, at least that I've been exposed to. So, That's right. Yeah, they're just a bunch of losers and they're going to keep losing if this is what uh, they're steadfast to do. Especially coming after one of the most iconic figures in American history, who's a really good guy, right? Uh, Major orgies were happening at a local Taco Bell. (laughs) So (laughs) I just had to get it out. It did uh, put up the Taco Bell full mass here. Uh, so Los Angeles County, uh, former Los Angeles area Taco Bell employee is now suing the company and a franchise owner after she claims a Christmas party at the fast food restaurant. We're not talking about somewhere else and they just happen to work there. We're talking about at the actual restaurant uh, descended into a drunken mess that included open sex. Um, Elena Bochum filed her lawsuit last week in Los Angeles Superior Court, and it's a doozy. In the suit, she alleges that her supervisor invited her to the December 18th, 2022 party at the San Pedro Taco Bell, at which she was employed. She was encouraged to bring food for a potluck style buffet. I mean, that's that's normative. But no problem. I, I can bring up, you know, some cheese and dip or something. And her contribution was a bowl of guacamole. Once she arrived, uh, Miss Betcham discovered that her supervisor covered the windows of the restaurant with wrapping paper and also covered the cameras for the lobby in the inside of the restaurant. Now, now it's getting weird. <laughs> now I know the guacamole is good, but damn. So she <laughs> claims, <laughs> I gotta get oh, through babe. the story, brother, this, there's more. <laughs> she claims her supervisor then provided alcohol to staffers. So that kind of made sense. All right, so you're serving alcohol while all adults here, you know, you don't want people to see this. Uh, but several of whom were uh, overserved, as the lawsuit states. And then around midnight, she stepped outside for a short time. She walked back into the restaurant and saw a coworker having sex with his wife in front of everyone at the party. She alleges the coworker's wife she claims was also kissing her female manager and another female coworker at the same time. 
Uh, there's more shock, uh, disgusted and outraged, she said. Uh, she alleges that she first ran out of the restaurant, but then went back inside to retrieve her guacamole bowl. <laughs> Only to. <laughs> <laughs> Jackson, you're going to have to let me get through this story, brother. I'm a beauty. Okay, I'm a all, right. all right. Only to find her manager and the other co worker also involved in the sexual encounter uh, were vomiting. All right. One threw up in the trash while the other vomited in her guacamole. Not because of her guacamole, but just she they were intoxicated, according to the lawsuit, according to the complaint. So she says that she reported the incident to Taco Bell Human Resources. Now, you got to understand, HR is wondering, okay, this is a hell of a story. And the Alvarado Restaurant Group, that's your franchise owner, Colorado-based. The manager and other co-workers involved in the sexual encounter were fired. Her complaint states. So after their termination, she alleges she was actually threatened and had her car window shattered by someone associated with her former coworkers. Taco Bell and the franchisee, quote, did nothing about these threats and instead told her that they were transferring her to a new location rather than disciplining the employees who threatened her, according to the complaint. So she eventually quit and alleges that she has suffered actual consequential and incidental financial losses, and that Taco Bell violated anti-discrimination laws, uh, the New York Post reports. KTLA reached out to Taco Bell and the restaurant group for comment. Doesn't look like there has been a comment on record as of yet. All right, listen, I have no issue with what consenting adults choose to do. I would prefer you not to do it at the local Taco Bell, because um, I like to get a chalupa every now and then myself. Uh, so obviously that is a violation uh, worthy of complaint. The attack, the physical threatening and the property damage is what has been alleged in the lawsuit. And that Taco Bell was aware, the group was aware, the franchisee, and they decided to do absolutely nothing about it. And she is claiming, well, this is a protective dynamic that the employee-employer relationship should warrant. Uh, dear brother. So uh, this was the last story I expected to see this morning in the kitchen meeting. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. I, I, I saw it. I was reading it. I had just got back from the salon. You know what I'm saying? Get, getting done up. You feel me? And I was like, oh. But look, let me say, th this literally could not have happened at a more perfect place than Taco Bell. <laughs> if I would have read it and it said McDonald's or Wendy's or Burger King, it just wouldn't have slapped the same type of way. You know, I, I don't snap. know what it is. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have hit the same type of way. There we go. That's more appropriate. <laughs> It wouldn't have hit the same type of way. I don't, you know, so it's just this, this is literally the perfect story and going into uh, Thursday. But my question is, how, do, how does management, like upper management, even respond to this? Like, what, what do you really do? Like, obviously, everybody got to go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, but just in terms of like public relations, like, how do you make up for this? Like, you just shut the store down. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't you know, know if they're going to do all of that, but I, I'm really usually. curious. You know, usually, and I'm going to answer that question practically. Usually, these restaurant franchisee companies they have multiple restaurants, so they have a rotation team that can kind of come in and help with the skeleton crew until you get your staff back up. Uh, another problematic element, which is alleged in the lawsuit, is that there was uh, an exacting supervisor involved, which creates another element of harassment when you have a supervisor involved in this kind of conduct with. And obviously, in front of allegedly 
other employees. We will bring you updates, I'm sure updates are coming. Black man who shot a cop during a no-knock warrant has been found guilty. This was a raid. The man was in jail for nine years. Put up the picture full of mass. I'm going to explain the background here. Per reason, a Texas jury on Tuesday convicted Marvin Guy of murdering a local police officer in a case that challenged no-knock raids against one's right to self-defense. We've been here before. This is a much older case with a recent outcome. Guy who want, who waited in jail for over nine years. Now that is an important number, an important fact. When you have a slam dunk case, a prosecutor does not wait nine years to prosecute you. Okay, so he was in jail for nine years before his trial. Alleged he mistook uh, the killing police detective Charles Dinwiddie for an intruder. A SWAT team, after a SWAT team in 2014 smashed his bedroom window and tried to break into his home with a battering ram at about 5.45 a.m. It was a drug raid, okay? The panel declined, however, to convict him of capital murder. That was on the table, they said no, and instead opted for murder. Meaning they did not agree, at least not unanimously, that Mr. Guy knew he was shooting a law enforcement officer. If He knew, you gotta think about the logic here, keep up this graphic. If he knew he was shooting a cop, they would have convicted on capital murder. That is the statute that was on the table. They said, no, we don't agree that he knew this was a police officer. The raid was the product of a no knock warrant, which police pursued in response to a tip that Guy had been dealing cocaine. And which allowed them to break into Guy's apartment without first identifying themselves. I'm going to give you significant details of the incident. May 9th, May 9th, 2014, before the sun rose, it was still dark outside. About two dozen officers arrived at his residence. The team struggled to fully penetrate the door and their battering ram, sometimes something was blocking it from behind. One officer accidentally detonated. A stun grenade accidentally, inflaming what was already a raid rapidly going awry. Guy, who lived in a high crime area, said he was woken up and assumed the police were not the police. He assumed these are criminals trying to break into my home. He had allegedly been on edge about such a situation. One of his neighbors had reportedly been victimized in a similar way a week before when an intruder choked her after forcing entry by way of her first floor window. So you have a similar methodology of break-in. Guy allegedly hit four officers, uh, killing Dinwiddie and prompting police to fire over 40 rounds in return. They tried to kill him, they just weren't successful. The prosecution, however, Um, created this theory and theorized that Guy had somehow come to know the police were coming. That like he basically has um, the ability to read minds and that he set up a trap. Yes, it was a trap to ambush them. 
One man's ambush is another man's, another man panicked, being scared, his home is being broken into, countered John Evans, guy's defense attorney. Key to the defense's case were the frenzied circumstances and the characteristics of the no-knock raid. Namely, that it was set in motion without warning and before dawn, meaning nothing, nothing could have alerted him that this was happening and it was dark. The target was disoriented, obviously a witness for the government testified the first day that during such raids, it was department policy to actually shine a light into the home so police could see in, but the subject couldn't see out. The prosecution concluded their case on Thursday with testimony from Dinwiddie's widow, Holly, in what was effectively a victim impact statement, all right, that creates a prejudice against the defendant, obviously. Uh, he had a zest for life, she said. He woke up happy. The defense rested the same day after calling one witness, uh, retired police department commander Scott Meads, who conducted an administrative review of the raid and identified multiple tactical errors and concerns, including that the officers were confused over the apartment's layout. Texas has what's called castle doctrine. Now we're going to get into the law. The legal principle that allows, that entitles someone to stand their ground in their home if they perceive a deadly threat. If they perceive a deadly threat, that is called a subjective standard. If they perceive a deadly threat. That protection evaporates, however, if the person is engaged in illegal activity. Law enforcement allegedly found traces of white powder on Guy's apartment floor, in his car and in the trash. Though the government never charged him with a drug crime. Wait a minute, if he's a major narcotics dealer and you found residue on the carpet and never charged him with a drug crime, how can we determine he was involved in illegal activity? I'll put up the picture. I want to remind everyone, he's not the first. He's not the first who struggled to reconcile a no-knock warrant raid with the right of self-defense. In 2020, remember, Breonna Taylor was killed during a very similar police raid after her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, grabbed a firearm and started shooting. He legally owned the firearm. He fired one shot at the police, believing them to be intruders. They charged him with shooting at the police. They charged him with a crime and eventually ultimately dismissed the entire charge because it became a national story. But not everyone's case attracts the attention of the world. Guy, who was held on a $4 million bond and whose trial was delayed multiple times due to his poor health, the COVID-19 pandemic, defense attorneys leaving or being terminated, arguments with the district attorney's office over obtaining evidence. We'll find out his fate next week as sentencing. Prosecutors originally wanted the death penalty which they agreed to drop last year in order to expedite the almost decade long pretrial process. Let's have a very authentic conversation about no knock warrants. Many police chiefs around the world and elected sheriffs will tell you they no longer engage in no knock warrants because one, it creates a safety issue for every officer involved. Number two, the reason you would even say yes to a no knock warrant is to make sure evidence is 
um, able to be obtained. Meaning if there's drugs, you don't want people having enough time to flush it down the toilet, etc. And one sheriff, this was a great, great um, conference where the sheriffs were talking about policing. It's really ironic, you have progressive elected sheriffs and you have some who are not. One sheriff said, listen, if a person has enough time to flush every uh, ounce of cocaine that they have in the apartment or the house, if they have enough time to do this in about 10 to 20 seconds, we should not be serving them a no knock warrant anyway. That's that's they, they have such a small amount. What evidence are we actually going to retain here, right? It's not worth killing people or having officers killed because of it. And now you have a lot of legislation on the table to eliminate this altogether. Uh, but Mr. Guy, well, his time was much too soon as far as the no knock dynamic. And he recently had to face penalty for that, which seemed to be a very normative self defense dynamic. Uh, Mr. Jackson, thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, you'd think unless somebody was like making a terrorist bomb threat or something, there's really not that much of a purpose to do a no-knock warrant and run uh, run in somebody's home. And like you pointed out, I mean, if somebody's really got some serious weight or some serious weapons, then they ain't going to be able to flush it down the toilet. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is just not going to happen. Right. Um. So most importantly, it's just unsafe for everybody. I mean, how are you how are you going to react, especially if you're asleep and you're in a neighborhood where things like this happen um, from, you know, by civilians to other right. civilians? Like, I mean, you're going to panic. You're going to do your best to defend yourself, especially if you've been sleeping. But I think that it's important for everybody to realize that one of the biggest reasons it's not necessary to do this is because once the feds got you, they got you. You know, so like if if they really decide that you have to go down or they really decide that. They collect evidence on you slowly over years, over time. They saw you do this. They saw you do that. They know who you talk to. So, like, what you really need to run up in somebody's home for if you're not letting them know, like, hey, man, we got you. Sit down and talk to us. So, all in all, it's just a recipe for disaster, and there's better ways to go about it, especially when you're talking about an organization that has all the money and the power in the world. Right, um, and all of the opportunity to engage uh, in a way that's lawful. Uh, they could have waited until he woke up, walked out and said, sir, you're under arrest. And we're going to check your apartment while um, we have you in the back of this squad car. A- at least he would not be facing a murder penalty. All right. Yep. Okay. And a cop would be alive. All right. We got more on the other side. Indisputable stick and stay. All right. Welcome back. Always good to be with you. We have a lot of comments. I'll read as many as I can. Um, um, Civitas, Civitas Vox. LeVar didn't mince his words. They choose when to take words as a metaphor when it suits them. That's right. Um, Cal CH. Um, is this kind of is is this kind of stuff why people get sick from eating that Taco Bell every now and again? I know. I hope not. We got something else to think about and consider now, though. You know, I need Taco Bell corporate to, to crack down on this. <laughs> we should. Doctor Richie just never needed to see this. That's all I really did bad. <laughs> uh, Mo Fury, I'm sorry, but that guacamole is gone. <laughs> uh, next, T Y T reporter. I want to be very clear. The special sauce we just got in isn't what you think it is. Uh, Fritz, uh, uh, is it? 
Jacques, I know I was corrected on this before. My apologies. And thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Richard Snacks and Two Gorgeous Men, I am thankful for on this Thanksgiving Eve. And we are thankful for you. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving Eve, everybody. And have a great holiday. All right. And oh, the Jack. The Jack, I'm not saying this. This is what the Jack is saying. Sour cream for everybody. Hey. (laughs) Um, Also, I won't hate working fast food. No, I'm not. I can't do that one, brother. I just I can't do that. One. <laughs> I, I just I, I was, he, 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 you was creeping up to your line, trying, and then you got to the and line. Then when I got to the just, line, yeah, I said, "I'm nah. not the one." Yeah, yeah, nah. <laughs> All right, uh, and uh, I can do this one. Uh, the Jack uh, stand up, fight back. Our next already on the chopping block, and you two a lot. All right, so Marianne Masters, thank you, was gifted a membership by James Thompson. James Thompson also did this for Lydia Mathis, Adam Walker, uh, Jesse, and Vanessa DeFranco. Uh, thank you all for joining and thank you, James Thompson, for providing the opportunity. All right, I got something for you, ladies and gentlemen. I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You're I feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man Listen, listen, I'm, I'm working now, okay? Can you leave, please? Go, please. You're not working. There's I'm, I'm just here. working here, yeah. Go. There's nobody here. I'm going to put big signs here that say this guy is, believes in Hamas. Do you, you want to buy something? No, I don't. Okay, why is he here? I won't, I won't give you a penny of my money. Listen, listen, why is he here? What? You want to buy something? No. Okay, go. I don't want to go. I have a right to stay here. You have no right to be on the sidewalk. Do you have a permit? Yeah, I have a permit. I have a thing. I have a license. Okay, but you don't have a visa. Mm, I have, a, I have a, I was born, my friend. Go. What do you have? It's not your business. Go. Oh, it is my business because I actually know the guy who owns all these. Uh, I have an American stores. citizen. Do you have an American citizen? Yeah, they have it. Now, how? How did you become an American citizen? It's not your business. Go. No, you're right. I born here. But you're a terrorist. You support terrorism. Listen, go. I'm not support something. You do. You support terrorism. I'm not some. You go. I'm just working here. You're a terrible person. You kill children, not me. What? Go. My kids? What about my kids? You kill children, not me. Go. I didn't kill children. Okay, why see you here? You know why? If we killed 4,000 Palestinian kids, you know what? It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Go, 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 go. You heard him. He said, if we killed 4,000 Palestinian kids, it wasn't enough. There's more. What? Go. No, no. Muhammad was a child molester. Go. It says in the Hadith. Do you read the Hadith? Go. Do you I'm read gonna the Hadith? Call, I'm going to call the police. Go. How old was Aisha when, when Muhammad married her? It's not her? your business. Go. No, I'm asking you. Go. She was six. And then she, he tried to have sex with her when she was nine. And her hair fell out. 
says that in your own holy book. No, please. No, no. You go. You go. You, you, you. What's your name? What's my name? Yeah. Muhammad. Your name Muhammad? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, okay, what's your name? It's not your business. No, no. What's your name? It's not your business. You asked me. Now I gave you my answer. You give me it's your answer. It's not your name. What? That's Are you there legally? Go. <laughs> Why should I go? It's a free country. It's not Egypt here. Okay, I'm going to go to the police. Go. have one more video. His name is not Muhammad. We actually do have his name, his background and everything else. You're going to be shocked. Here it is. To my friends in immigration. Really? Okay, go, yeah. And to the Egyptian, uh, the Muhabarat wants your picture. Okay, yeah, go. Yeah? You know the Muhabarat? Hmm? The Muhabarat. No, I don't know. You don't know? I just speak English. No? Yeah, go, yeah. The Muhabarat in, in Egypt will get your parents. Go, go, go. Does yeah, your father yeah. like his fingernails? They'll, they'll take them out one by one. Yeah, go, go, go. Why should I go? Why should I go? Tell me why I should go. I'm standing here. I'm an American. I have free, it's, it's a free country. It's not like Egypt. Just smile for me. Mm -hmm. Did you rape your daughter like Muhammad did? Hmm? Did you rape your daughter like Muhammad? I speak English. You only speak English? No, speak English. No. You don't speak English. Yes. All right. Well, that's that. See, that just shows how ignorant you are. Because your know, Muhammad was a rapist. It says in the in the hadith. In, oh, Muhammad. In your holy book. Oh, Muhammad. What? Oh, Muhammad. Muhammad, your your prophet. You know who he is. My prophet? Yeah. He was a rapist. He raped Aisha. Does it say that in the hadith or not? You know that? I do speak English. What? No English. You don't speak English? What do you speak? What do you speak? You speak Arabic? The language of the Quran? The Holy Quran? That some, some people use as a toilet? <laughs> what do you think of that? People who use the, the Quran as a toilet? Does it bother you? <laughs> Does it bother you? Tell me the truth. I don't speak English. You don't speak English? Ah, that's too bad. That's why you're selling food in a, in a food cart. Because you're, you're ignorant. But you should learn English. It, it'll help you. Of course, When they yeah. deport you back to Egypt and the Muhabarat wants to interview you. What about full mass? This man's racism is so extreme and evil. Per Vice News, his name is Stuart Seldowitz. You see, Stuart worked on the National Security Council, South Asia Directorate under President Barack Obama. Was filmed accused, was filmed accusing a New York City food truck vendor of being a terrorist and other instances of threats and targeting. Now a lobbying group has cut ties with the ex-advisor and an NYPD spokesperson said police are aware of the videos and are monitoring the situation. <laughs> 
The video is posted on X, formerly Twitter, by Columbia University student show Stuart Seldowitz asking someone off camera, did you sexually assault your daughter like Muhammad did? And saying that killing 4,000 Palestinian children wasn't enough. On Tuesday afternoon, um, the company Gotham announced on Twitter, X, that it had cut ties with Seldowitz. Uh, quote, Gotham government relations has ended all affiliation with Stuart Seldowitz, an individual who has not contributed to our work in years. The video of his actions is vile, racist, and beneath the dignity of the standards we practice at our firm. The statement said his page has also been removed from the firm's website. His past position, so Seldowitz, ironically, was acting director for the National Security Council, South Asia Directorate under Obama, and was the deputy director, senior political officer in the US State Department's Office of Israel and Palestinian Affairs. He held this position from 1999 to 2003. More recently, he served as foreign affairs chair for Gotham Government Relations, which announced his new role in a press release in November of 2022. Now, the reason why that's important is because they said we have not had um, any affiliation with this guy in years. Uh, but there's clearly a press release announcing he's part of the team in 2022. There's more. Additional remarks, all right, since the start of the conflict in October, Seldowitz was interviewed about the Israel-Hamas war. This was an hour-long podcast. The podcaster is the former chief policy officer of Parler, a free speech, quote unquote, social media network favorite by right-wing users for its lack of content moderation. He said Hamas was to blame for any Palestinian civilian deaths and said reports about the poor conditions in Gaza are exaggerated. Uh, quote, the Israelis will and have in the past done almost everything that can reasonably be expected to keep civilian casualties down as low as possible. He said, describing the Israeli Defense Forces as a moral army, end quote. Responsibility for the civilian casualties can squarely be laid at the doorstep of Hamas. Seldowitz also said it's very hard for Americans to relate to Palestinians because their culture, their history, their religion is so uh, is so different than most of us. End quote. Vice notes as well that Seldowitz is also a senior consultant in humanitarian diplomacy for GDC Inc a logistics company that services places impacted by war and natural disasters. In a Jerusalem Post article from July, GDC's chief executive officer, Mari Kohana, specifically called out um, um, Seldowitz as a key member of the team. On Tuesday, Kohana, an Israeli-American, tweeted that he heard about a confrontation involving Seldowitz. Quote, I do not know the specific details of the event, and I and GDC's team condemn such language. Mr. Seldowitz has worked with us in the past and saved thousands of Muslim lives in Afghanistan and Syria. We will await further details, okay? Uh, no further details here. 
You see exactly where his motivations are. You got a glimpse into the parameters of his soul. And a person who was in charge of important things like international affairs, policy, conflict that requires authentic and thoughtful approaches, not racist individuals who simply have been promoted by way of their privilege. What is there to think about? The man is racist. How in the hell can he be an arbitrator of justice anywhere? And I need President Obama to say something too. This was one of your guys. I know he worked for other people. I get that. But President Obama has been one of the few voices of nuance, at least recently. Um, Jackson, when I saw this, and I got to tell you, man, when it started, I said, man, that's horrible. That's bad. And then it actually got worse. And then I got sick. I got disgusted by this man. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 was really difficult to watch. Um, yep. And like you said, the longer it went on, the more it was just, you know, this guy goes beyond racism. He's just I, he's a bully and he's sadistic. And yeah. um, he sat there and he really enjoyed it. And he really tried as hard as he could to push those buttons so that he could get some type of a hurtful reaction out of them. I'm not going to waste my time sitting here what I would do if I would have saw that because I mean, yeah. whatever. But it, it, even just, you know, I think what's really good, though, is that people did just watch this. And I think as many people as possible should see that because, again, that goes beyond racism because there's a lot of people who are racist who know how to keep it to themselves, at least well enough. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, like that was just like, man, he's just, he's really, and and the irony for him to say, you're a bad person. Like, oh, really? He called the dude that he's berating a bad person. But that that was tough to watch. And I, I hope more people see this because he, he's really a, Piece of you know what? Yeah, and you said it, sadistic. That is the word. Uh, looked as if he was enjoying it. And remember, everybody, he knew he was being recorded. He knew yeah. he was being recorded. All right. Okay, we'll bring you updates as they develop. Social media. I'm trying to get more information. Would really like cooperation with the public on this one. A student accuses a teacher of physical assault. Here's the video. Which one of these teachers hit you? Go point to her. Show me her. Go show me her. Go show me her. Which one? Show me which one. Show me which one. Point. Go point to her. That one right there. That's the teacher that hit you. Look, she, she's walking out. The teacher that hit my son is walking out right now. The teacher that, and all of these people is why. Miss, where you going? You hit my son and you leave it, right? You, 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 you hit my son? You hit my son? So all of y'all adults gonna watch her hit my son, but y'all act, he's not right when, okay, okay. Right now I'm in. PS 76. Right now, I'm in PS 76 right now. Put up the picture full mass. I will give you the information Indisputable currently has. Okay. As you saw, a student points to a teacher after the dad says, Who hit you? The teacher you saw uh, that he points to decides to basically flee. Users online have speculated 
that this is at a New York public school. That is not 100% confirmed. That is not 100% confirmed. The father claimed that he previously reported the teacher overhitting his son and was upset that the same teacher was still in the classroom with the child, okay? Following the video, he would return to the classroom and ask other school workers if they had asked his son about the hitting accusations. And the women claimed they had no knowledge of the accusation, all right? That was later in a video post. Uh, Once again, these are the moments where we really do need more information. Um, A student has said something. We saw it in the video, the student said it. Uh, We would like to have more information. So if you know this family, if you know individuals in the school system who's uh, willing to talk uh, to me, please make sure they contact us at Indisputable. Um, Jackson, thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think definitely, like you said, if there's an opportunity uh, for this family or this school system to discuss this, I think it's important that they take it up. I mean, just just in general, you know, putting your hands on kids in school is quite outdated. So it's not like it's some type of a normal practice that we still have going on. So, yeah, if anybody has information, definitely please send it in. There it is. Um, And even when it was a thing, you know, uh, because a lot of schools in the South did it, uh, parents had to consent to it. Uh, it was yeah. something you had to literally sign even back then to say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm I'm willing to let my child get paddled or something. I um, know that. Not the same here. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. A bigoted individual decides to attack a black woman, has pleaded guilty. I want to show you this screenshot. Uh, they basically made a citizen's arrest. Citizens, regular people saw this happen and detained the individual. Did this happen in America? No, this was in British Columbia, Canada. William Penny pleaded guilty to assault after attacking a random black woman in a park earlier this year, according to Castanet, a local news website, William Penny, 44, has been in custody since July 12th, 2023. Uh, And during his sentencing on Thursday, November 16th, prosecutors said, well, that he went after the woman at Kelowna's Park, City Park in British Columbia, Canada, because he was convinced she was recording him. So he assumed there was a recording which does not give you the right to attack, obviously. The woman was on the phone at the time and ignoring the accusations, the report said. However, prosecutor Katie Bosher noted that he approached the woman, spat on her, and called her the N-word. In addition to pushing her, he also slammed her phone on the ground. Bouchard claimed that he has a history of racist beliefs. So a video posted by the outlet shows multiple bystanders restraining the attacker at the scene, would not let him go. Saw what he did and stopped him. He was lying face down on the concrete while the group held him with their hands and feet until police arrived. And guess what? They didn't kill him. 
He survived. Police came, arrested him. He gets to go to court. He was able to actually go through the justice system. All right. And naturally, there's more. Prosecutor described the attack as, quote, degrading and dehumanizing. And the woman left town because of the incident. The defense mentioned that the attacker had ongoing battles with mental health. Um, specifically, narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder with schizophrenia and drug use. Okay. According to the report, Judge Andrew Tam, uh, the court judge, uh, sentenced uh, him to 133 days. Which is ultimately time served. He's, you know, basically been there. And, uh, but Penny will be transported to a place called Redfish Healing Center for mental health and addiction uh, for treatment for at least nine months, citing the public safety element. So he has a sentence. He was arrested immediately. Um, the proclamation of a mental health dynamic was associated with his uh, remedy, the rehabilitation. The judge said, okay, we're going to give you these days, but then I'm going to give you an additional nine months um, in a mental health treatment facility. Maybe there is an underlying issue with narcotics or um, schizophrenia or something else. Uh, so uh, in all in all, a black woman gets assaulted. She gets sped upon. Uh, citizens come to her rescue. And they detain the individual. He gets arrested. Uh, he gets punished and possibly even the help he may need. All right, We don't have evidence in record of uh, mental health diagnosis here, but it could be True. All right. Okay. Jackson, thoughts here. Yeah, I think it's definitely good to see uh, citizens coming in and helping her out, helping somebody out who was just being assaulted and dehumanized like that. Yeah. And unfortunately for the town, you know, uh, she ended up leaving because uh, part of that story was that she left town and went somewhere else, which you can't really yeah. blame her for. Yeah. But um, you know, that's also a bigger repercussion of uh, these types of incidents. It can shrink communities, make people not want to go there, and spread a reputation. So. But my uh, the best thing about this to me was a citizen's arrest. It's just good yeah. to see people coming to the rescue of somebody who needs it. That's right. That's right. Clearly, um, she was being attacked and assaulted and they helped. Put him up full mass. Track coach tricked, tricked athletes into sending him nude photos. He has now pleaded guilty of this 30-year-old Stephen Waith, a former college track and field coach from Chicago, pleaded guilty Tuesday to 12 counts of wire fraud, one count of cyber stalking, one count of conspiracy to commit computer fraud, and one count of computer fraud, aiding and abetting a connection with a scheme to trick women across the country into sending him nude or semi-nude photos. Now, according to prosecutors, Waith previously worked as a track and field coach for multiple institutions, including Northeastern University, Penn State University, Illinois Institute of Technology, University of Tennessee, and Concordia University, Chicago. While working as a track coach at Northeastern, Waith requested the cell phones of female student athletes under the pretense of filming them 
at practice and meet, okay? He then covertly sent himself explicit photos of the victims that had previously been saved on their phones. Hell of a violation here. As early as 2020, Waith began perpetrating a scheme to dupe women into sending him nude or semi-nude photos of themselves, specifically by using these anonymous social media accounts to contact prospective victims. He would then claim he found compromising photos of them online, all right? Uh, And these are the photos he sent himself. He would say, listen, I found these photos online, and this was all part of the manipulation. And then he would offer to help get the photos removed from the internet. Waith also requested additional nude or semi-nude photos from victims so they could purportedly use them for what's called reverse image searches, which is insane. But this is part of his master plan. Additionally, prosecutor said that he used at least two female personas, one name, was Katie Jovanich, and the other was Catherine Soboda, in an effort to obtain new to semi new photos of women. Under the premise of an athlete research or body development study, Waith would email prospective victims, pretending to be Katie or Catherine, and describe a phony study for athletes. He then requested information about their height, their weight, their body fat, and diet habits. The emails also requested victims to send photos of themselves in order to track their progress and recommended that the photos show the women in a uniform or bathing suit to show as much skin as possible. Prosecutor said additionally, the emails often included attachments of sample nude and semi-nude images to illustrate the types of photos that the victims should send. From at least June 2020 to October 2020, Waith also cyberstalked. One victim through text messages and direct messages sent from social media, as well as by hacking into her Snapchat account. Additionally, Waith texted and sent nude photos of the victim to the victim's boyfriend, saying, quote, I wanted to make you aware that someone hacked your girlfriend's Snapchat account and will leak it soon. I need your help to assure this does not happen, end quote. Waith continued to send harassing and intimidating messages to the victim and her boyfriend for about five months. The messages included explicit photos that Waith had stolen from the victim's phone when she was on the track and field team under his leadership at Northeastern. In October 2020, Waith conspired with another person to hack into Snapchat accounts and gain access to at least one account. And it's private, my eyes only folder that contained nude or semi-nude photos. Waith then provided his co-conspirator with the username and phone numbers of at least 15 women. The two used the information to craft and send text messages saying that they were from the Snapchat support team and requesting security information through which they gained access to at least one account for that. Con as well. Put up his picture again. <sighs> Sir, you're one of the worst type 
of people. Period. I don't know what redemption or redeeming value you have in you, but you literally spent your time manipulating individuals who trusted you, who looked up to you and hoped to provide um, and hoped that you would provide some kind of actual leadership and mentorship to them. Shame on you. Uh, Jackson, when you look at the extreme thoughtfulness put into doing something so damn manipulative and evil, you realize how dysfunctional and perverted this human being is. Thoughts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the amount of effort, thinking, um, and, and uh, also the effort to cover it up and try to make yeah. sure that people don't know that it's you every step of the way. More energy was put into this, uh, certainly, than was put into much of anything else that he was doing. Uh, yeah. I mean, this guy was, I mean, it was, is, uh, he, he's just, he's, he's sick and weird. This is weird. You know what I mean? And dangerous, though. Uh, very dangerous and can lead to uh, violence, uh, not just uh, different types of manipulation, uh, possibly putting people's images out or whatever it is. Yeah. But it's like, this wasn't even attached to some type of a money scheme or something like, hey, I got your pictures. Give me some money or like, because at least if it was that, I mean, obviously that doesn't make it better, but at least it makes more sense. You know, this is just like some like you can just look at nude photos online for free. You know what I mean? Like it's you, you can get that type of content for free and you don't have to violate people's privacy, especially not people who are supposed to trust you. And he's only 30. You know, he's I'm 31. He's my age going down for this. So it's like, yeah, yeah. Nah, you, you're he, that's it for him. This is yeah. pretty much done. He's done and, and had. When I say a hell of a career, when you look at this guy's resume and the universities that he was able to work in mm -hmm. at 30, man, yeah. uh, threw it all away in the, uh, as you would say, it's sadistic, brother. All mm -hmm. right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stand. A Mississippi funeral home put the wrong body in the casket. Put it up full mass. Hell of a thing. In Mississippi, the family of Mary Jean Robinson says the people's funeral home in Jackson put the wrong body inside the casket during their loved one's wake, leaving them disappointed. This is where people come and they pay their respects, view the body. Uh, on November 3rd, Georgia Robinson says she and the rest of her family showed up at the wake for their loved one, Mary Jean Robinson. However, that's when Miss Georgia Robinson immediately noticed something was wrong. Quote, once we got in there and signed the books and everything, we were walking down to view her body. And I knew something was kind of off. I could tell that it wasn't her from far back. The family says, even more shockingly, that the person lying in the casket was wearing the clothes and the jewelry they bought for their loved one. WLBT has seen the images, but are choosing to not show them out of respect for the other family. No, ma'am, this is not my sister. This is her casket. This is the outfit that we brought her. This is the jewelry that we brought her. 
And I said, these are her flowers. But I did not know who that is. I did not know who that was in the casket. That's when she says she demanded to speak with the director of the funeral home, naturally. The family confronted the funeral home employees about the mishap. However, Robinson claimed they gave a hard time, uh, told and told them they would have to, that the family would have to, quote, pay for everything all over again. Okay, end quote. According to the report, she got them to purchase new clothes for her sister, but they would not swap the casket. I told him not to put anything on my sister that was on that lady. He put the earrings on her anyway. Robinson said to the news station, I feel terrible just to think if we had a closed casket, we would have ended up burying somebody else's loved one instead of ours. James Stewart, put him up. One of the directors of the funeral home told WLBT News he could not confirm or deny that the mix-up happened, but says the family told him they were pleased with their services. Um, they don't seem pleased to me. I'm going to say this. Um, when you have to put somebody to rest, regardless of your faith background, it's one of the most difficult things in the world. I've had to do that. I've had to do it multiple times. I could not imagine how I would be impacted by having something like that happen and then insensitivity from the funeral home. Um, so my heart, my thoughts, my prayers, my positive energy goes with the family during their time of um, grieving, okay? All right, Jackson, thoughts here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, undoubtedly something like that would stay with you forever and okay. likely take uh, quite a bit of time for you to get over if you ever were able to get over it. The anger may subside, but you'd always remember that, you know? So yeah. That would just, it's, it's incredibly disappointing really is not a strong enough word. Yeah. Um, and I would say probably a mistake that is probably rather easy to not make. Um, but right. you know, I guess some, you know, everything happens eventually, I guess. So I guess yeah. it's one of those instances. I mean, just to imagine uh, if they did not have the open casket, which is mm -hmm. always an option to close it, they mm -hmm. would have buried somebody else's body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, brother, always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people Absolutely. how they can follow you. Check out your great work. Absolutely. Always good to be here with you. Check me out at YouTube, youtube.com slash at politics and paper. We got daily streams. We got daily programs. And we're dedicated to community service and local politics. So it's going well. We're definitely looking forward to being here with you next time. Thank you, my friend. I'm happy. Thanks for giving. Happy holidays to you and the family. You as well. All right. Thank you, sir. We got more. The bullpen is next. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. He's back in the bullpen today. We have Libertarian, former vice presidential candidate in 2020, Mr. Spike Cohen. Spike, good day, welcome. Thank you for having me on again, Rashad. It's good to see you. Good to see you too, dear brother. Let's talk about, because it's the holidays, I want to talk about this emergence, this connection with major political candidates, presidential and non-presidential. Some toying with the idea and others are directly proclaiming it. That we need to basically abandon the principles of the Constitution, abandon the principle of separation of church and state. And we need to go ahead and declare ourselves to be a fully Christian nation. Um, and naturally, some people are under the impression that we are already a Christian nation. 
What is your thought about that? What's the libertarian stance on it? Right, so the purpose of the American government under the Constitution is to create statutory limitations for the government in affirmation of our lives, our rights, and our property. It's in the Declaration of Independence, it's in the Constitution. And ironically enough, uh, those those uh, uh, proclamations and that Constitution was heavily informed by the Lockean principles of property rights, which were informed by the Christian Enlightenment. So it's very interesting that now there are people saying they want to abandon that, uh, for Christianity, when it was actually, at least in the West, it was Christianity that led to the Enlightenment period and the concept of property rights that ultimately led to the creation of the Constitution. You know, you're so correct there, brother. I know a little history about this. And I want to pose this question. Where do you think it, it went off kilter? Because literally you had this um, movement that was led by, and I would say it was still very misguided in some areas, obviously, but they we're trying to get away from, break away from what we would know as a form of theocratic government um, or religious rule government in order to expand independent rights. How do you think that transitioned and transformed over time? I think it's just the reality of power, man. I think anytime that you have the creation of a government or a centralization of power, it is always going to, unless we keep constant vigilance, it is always going to creep its way towards greater centralization of power and greater authoritarianism, whether it is a theocratic authoritarianism or fascism or communism or socialism or anything else. It's going to work its way towards that because power exists to feed and create itself. And so, you know, that is why uh, even the founders, uh, Benjamin Franklin amongst them, said, if we aren't constantly vigilant to protect the rights that are affirmed and protected under the Constitution, we're going to end up replacing the British crown with something far worse. Yeah. You know, libertarians, and I say this often, um, I'm progressive enough to where I meet libertarians on the other side of the circle, right? So we, we actually have some things that we share values wise in common. But there seems to be this extreme detachment from what the Republican platform historically has been, small government, fiscal responsibility, etc., to now government takeover. I'm going to give you an example, and I'm providing this example because libertarians, in my opinion, you all have always at least, even if I disagree with the political stance or the policy dynamic, you all have always been authentic in your approach to them. So let's talk about big government, small government. One of the hallmarks of the libertarian movement, libertarian platform, is a smaller government, more independent rights, which is fine. Republicans used to echo the same thing. It used to be part of the actual platform of the Republican National Committee. It is yep. there in, in, in word only because you have massive government takeover happening by way of Republican governors and echoed now by a presidential candidate hopefuls to enhance those governmental takeovers. What what has the libertarian response been to some of this policy rhetoric coming from the Republican ranks? Our response has been to remind Republican voters, who many of whom think they're still voting for smaller government or even rhetoric around smaller government, that the Republican leadership abandoned that a long time ago, or certainly in the in the last couple of election cycles. I want to remind everyone, uh, Donald Trump spent more money in four years than Barack Obama did in eight years and ran up almost as much debt as he did in his eight years. And Barack Obama, prior to Trump, easily had the record for both spending and debt. 
So the, 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 if there was any semblance of small government in the Republican Party, uh, then it certainly doesn't exist in any real way. And of course, the Democrats, I don't think, and in, in, in certainly in my lifetime, have ever claimed to be small government. So we have said, the libertarians have said consistently, if you want a government that is small enough uh, to exist to pr- affirm and, and protect uh, your lives, rights, and property, and do nothing else, uh, the Republican Party isn't even pretending they want that anymore and haven't for quite some time. Yeah, you know, but it is interesting to see kind of the about face because now you have people like Congressman Matt Gates talking about being, um, you know, uh, fiscally responsible again. You have people blasting uh, individuals for their stance on budgets that are passed now, uh, but they challenged Donald Trump none, none. The the man literally created such a massive debt. Our children and uh, grandchildren and great grandchildren will have to pay the interest of that. But at a point, they were able to sell the deed to Republican voters. At some point, they sold this as your new form of government. Bigger government is your new form of government. How do you come back from that as a conservative movement altogether? I'm asking this in the context of, while libertarian and Republican are different, you all are considered to be conservatives uh, the same. From a, from a concept of smaller government and, and fiscal conservative, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I would say if I were a Republican, uh, I would look towards an elected official like Thomas Madison. He's a, a Republican congressman from Kentucky. He was every bit as vociferous against the overspending and encroaching big government policies when Donald Trump and the Republicans were in charge, as he is now that uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats are in charge. And he took a lot of flack for it. Uh, they, they put together a, a, a handpicked uh, primary opponent who he trounced in the primary because he has been consistent in principle. And I would look to, to the people like the Thomas Masseys within the the Republican Party and say, listen, if you want to be a party that actually stands in opposition to the growing authoritarian governments that we're seeing under both Republican and Democrat leadership, you have to look to the libertarian or at least the small government wing within your party, because otherwise you're just red flavored Democrats. Hmm. Let me uh, pose this to you. James Comey, former FBI director, said something some months back that I thought was simple but profound. He uh, received a question during this panel discussion about the state of the Republican Party. And before the guy could really finish asking the question, he basically said, what Republican Party? He said, we don't have a Republican Party. There is no Republican Party anymore. All you have is Trump. And I understood his point. His point was everything is basically de-evolved to fit the small personality of Donald Trump rather than the massive dynamics associated with an actual policy platform. Do you believe that's true? Is there truth in what Comey said? I think Donald Trump has done an incredible job of reshaping the Republican Party to exist as, at least for as long as he's involved in it, as his party. I mean, he's, mm. he's fantastic at branding. He's fantastic at reframing the narrative. And he's, and he's essentially created uh, a, a, a political cult of personality. I would be remiss, since you mentioned James Comey and the FBI, anytime the mention of the FBI comes up, I would be remiss not to mention the fact that the FBI is a domestic terrorist organization that was created illegally uh, for the purpose of uh, squelching political opposition. They killed Martin Luther King, they killed Fred Hampton, they killed Viola Liozzi. The best day to have ended the FBI was the day after it was created and the second best time is now. Uh, you know, you get you get no complaint. Uh, from me on the on the FBI dynamic, we literally just reported on uh, more extreme behavior being exposed by the FBI, and more things are coming out, even about J Edgar Hoover. 
uh, who yep. uh, somehow is still honored by the FBI. I don't understand that. <laughs> uh, so you you definitely can see the the trend that's taking place. And the reason why I brought Comey up is because he's still a Republican. He's a conservative, right? He's a lifelong conservative, according to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's this dynamic of we really don't have a, a platform any longer. When libertarians are in power, when libertarians get into office, what changes? What changes we no longer rob the American people of trillions of dollars and hand it off to multinational corporations and foreign governments and big government agencies here and abroad. We don't put people, we don't uh, destroy the lives and livelihoods of the American people with burdensome regulations that we exempt ourselves and our corporate buddies from. Uh, We don't create trillions of dollars in debt in the names of not just Americans now, but future generations that haven't even been born yet. We don't have the Federal Reserve create trillions of dollars out of thin air in order to finance that debt which leads to the devaluation of our currency and the massive increase to the cost of living that we see every day. In short, we put your life back in your hands because we know that you know how to live your life better than we ever could. And we will stop trying to rob people blind to the political scam that we see today. You know, Spike, you are an authentic individual. Typically, when I have debates or conversations or interviews with libertarians, um, you all do not gaslight. You believe what you believe. You actually are uh, looking at policy rather than just what somebody said and repeating yep. it because it's a talking point. Uh, and with that being said, now I wouldn't vote for you, uh, but I would like to see you <laughs> run for president. No, I, I, I'm just telling you, I, I wouldn't vote for you, but I would like, listen, and here's why. I'm going to tell you why I would like to see you run for president. Okay. Because there has to be an alternative to the Republican establishment, and I, and I offer it in this spirit. Republicans are so extreme that Democrats can get away with damn near anything and say, who are you gonna vote for, that guy? Exactly. Right? So, so are you looking to possibly put your hat in the ring in the libertarian field? I have not ruled it out. And I will say that no matter who the Libertarian Party picks, it's going to be a far cry better than anything that anyone else is running. And I agree with you, except for the part about not voting for me. But I agree with you with the reality that both parties are able to play this endless good cop, bad cop routine game of saying, oh, if you don't vote for me, you're going to get that guy who I work with every single day to screw you. That's right. Come on. That guy over there. And the thing to remember about good cop, bad cop routines, they're both cops. They're both in on it. It's a scam. So whether it's me or some other libertarian, I would say I would encourage you to rethink you're not voting for us because the reality is the scam will continue continue as long as we allow it to. There you go. There you go. Uh, we need more options, obviously, now political discourse. And I appreciate what you bring to the table, dear brother. Happy holidays you. to you and the family. And you as well, Marshad. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. All right. Remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.